0: have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio.
1: I have a a hardwood floor. I want to know how to go about cleaning and refinishing
2: So you want to come back to a good, clean, new look on that wood because under that stain, that wood, once you sand, it's going to look brand new again. If I had a small area to do, I might deal with it myself. If I were going to be doing an entire
0: house, clearly I would not. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor is on the air once again this weekend. Ken is here to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. You can always be part of our show by dialing our contact number, 800-614-2975, or you can email questions to KenTheContractor.com. And the only thing we want to mention is because of the volume of emails that we get, it takes a while for Ken and our mailbag editor, Aaron Yoder, to get around to answering your question. But eventually, they will get you a specific answer to any of your email questions questions and also we pull some of those questions out particularly the interesting ones that we think would be applicable to a large portion of our listening audience and we'll bring them to the radio and put them on air we've got some more of those coming up this hour and again you're welcome to be part of the show at 800-614-2975 right here with Ken the Contractor We have seasons, not
2: only home building season, but we have home fraud season, yes. And I mean that in the sense of repair, maintenance. And we've all heard of, quote, gypsy contractors, and I use that term very loosely. You see it in the news media from time to time. You read about it. You hear it on the radio, the TV. There are people out there, unfortunately, that are looking for a quick buck, willing to do a few minutes' work to make things look good for you, to take your dollars and go down the road and head somewhere else and take advantage of other people. What I want you to do is be very cautious about this because we are in that season, especially when it comes to folks that will do everything from trimming trees to sealing asphalt to repairing gutter to repairing roofing. And while there are thousands of legitimate contractors and business people throughout our communities, our states, and around this country, there are just a handful that want to take advantage of you. And these are the ones we need to be on the lookout for. I don't mind telling you, even as a professional builder, someone who's done this for a long time, even as I have bought materials, just millions of dollars of materials and products over the years, that I too have to be aware of that, that there are new people that come along and they have to be properly checked out. You run them through a vetting system and you make certain that everything is as it should be. And I want to touch on this for you today. First, if somebody comes to you, they stop by, they ring the doorbell, they talk to you about doing some roof work, they can see you've got damaged shingles, maybe from a recent windstorm, and that's when a lot of these people will tend to be around our communities after a storm, but others will be just driving through looking to seal asphalt driveways and so forth. If it sounds too good to be true, folks, the old adage, chances are pretty good it is. We're in a highly competitive economy in this country. Everybody that's out there is trying to make a profit, as minuscule as it may be, and they deserve to make a profit in order to stay in business and to service your needs and others'. When somebody gives you something that is less than half the price and half the time, and you all these signs are, uh, we only take cash, we don't take checks, we can do it right now, but you have to sign the contract now because it's actually only good this afternoon. When you're hearing all of those things, you need to walk away. That's the time to close the door and say, thanks, I've got something else I'm doing. I don't need to talk with you. Those obviously are scams in almost every single case, and I have seen and heard of these. I've had relatives and friends that have had been approached in some cases by these folks. You need to stay away from them. Some guidelines you need to go by. One, if you've got a legitimate need for service around your house or you've had damage after maybe a severe thunderstorm, some high winds, hurricane, tornadic activity in the area, you need to be soliciting some bids from folks unless you have emergency work. If you've had a storm come through and rip shingles off the house and you're subject to ruining the inside of that house with another rainstorm tomorrow, then you need to call for some emergency help. But you still do that by going through known local companies, not somebody just traveling around an old beat-up pickup truck with an out-of-state license plate from five states away. And this is where many people are caught. So even in an emergency situation, there are local people that will come to your need. And for most of us, in almost every place you're listening, you've got friends, relatives, and neighbors nearby that are going to take care of the most dire needs you have to help protect your property. So don't get caught up in some of these scandals and these things that go around where you're paying three or four times more than you should and you're being ripped off. You just don't need to deal with it. When you have time, as long as it's not an emergency situation, you always want to get three bids. You want to talk to people that are in your community for several reasons. One, it's easy to get references on those companies, regardless of what the maintenance happens to be. It's also easy to contact them. You've got somebody local if you have a callback issue and you need follow-up or you need some assistance. The other thing I want you to think about is you're keeping your dollar in your community. And that $1 that you pay to that local contractor or service person may come back to you several times as it moves its cycle through the community. Uh, in the circle the way the dollar changes hands. So I happen to be one that like working in the location, spending the dollars in the location that my client happens to be and where I'm working. So, again, don't fall for these high-pressure tactics that we talked about. If it's too good to be true, chances are pretty good that it is. Be sure you're getting at least three bids out there. And a lot of this is what I tell you if you're building a new home as well or you're putting on an addition, but I go into much more detail. These are quick and simple things you need to follow for just some ordinary maintenance, painting, power washing, roofing, repairs, asphalt repairs, tree trimming, those type items around our house. You want to be certain that you've got the name and address of the business and that you do a little bit of checking, it can be simple as making two or three quick phone calls over the course of an afternoon if you get some quotes in the morning. You may want to ask them for some suppliers so you can call the supply house. Hey, do these guys pay their bills? Uh, they're going to be putting some shingles on my house. I want to know that when I pay them, they're not going to run off and leave me where you can come file a
0: lien on my house. Those things are critical. Let me ask you a basic question about dealing with a contractor, uh, and that is what's the standard in the industry? Now, I can't think of any other type of service where I have to pay up front for the service. Anything else, if I'm paying somebody to mow my lawn, I don't pay them to mow my lawn and then expect them to show up on Wednesday. When the lawn gets mowed, I get a bill, and then I pay for it. I go to a restaurant. I don't pay for my meal before I've eaten it. What about with with contractors? I mean, are there circumstances where it is appropriate for upfront dollars to exchange hands, or in many of these cases, when the work's done, that's when you'll see your money. Okay. First, in,
2: in my experience as in a, and as a professional, I have never charged an upfront dime from anybody. I do believe that contractors should have the ability, the financial wherewithal to fund their project, to qualify their customer, and be sure they're going to get paid. But yet there are a number of tasks that you may hire folks to do that are smaller entities. If they're going to have to spend let's say $10,000 for materials and it's custom and the supplier requires them to put $3,000 down, it would not be uncommon for them to come to you and say, I require three or $4,000 in advance. They're simply paying their material supplier for this custom item on your behalf and it can't be returned. That would not be uncommon. Where I would be very reluctant as a homeowner, as a builder, to pay anybody up front is strictly for a service where they're gonna come out and let's say they're gonna seal the driveway. They've got a hundred dollars worth of materials and they've got supposedly $400 in labor, they've got to trim back the grass and do some other things, I would be reluctant to put any money up front for that. I want to see the product in place. I want to see the service complete before I pay. That's where a lot of these scam artists take advantage of you is they'll the bill's only $500, and somebody else may have quoted you $1,000. they will do it for 5 but they want it up front. You may not see them. They may get in the truck and go down the road.
0: Ken Patterson is Ken the contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's That's 800-614-2975, and you can email questions to his website, KenTheContractor.com. Again, our number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken The Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home inside or out, you can join Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phones right now. Joining us next is Dan. Hi, Dan. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
1: Okay. Uh, I have a, a full-size basement, uh, and I have a mildew problem because I don't have any any temperature control whatsoever down there. Okay and um right now i'm considering uh a pellet stove or some kind of maybe uh baseboard or something i need to get some kind of temperature it's i don't worry about air conditioning it's cool enough you know but i want to get some heat down there to, so i don't have a continuing mildew problem um which I've, i know i've got to tackle
2: I'll tell you. You got first. You're you're going in the right direction, but the bigger issue is going to be air movement more than hot or cold air. Uh-huh. Uh, does this does the is there a tendency for this to form first in and around your corners?
1: Yeah, it's it's in the corners yeah. and then, you know right.
2: And and that again is indicative of the lack of air movement. What you may experiment with, and I'm not telling you this will be the cure all for you, but. For very little money, and you probably have one of these in your house, take a floor fan and set it out there and see if it doesn't move enough air. Just pick a corner. And maybe if you don't have, I'm not suggesting four fans, but if you've got a fan in the house, a portable fan, take it, set it down there for a while, and see if you can't, after cleaning the mildew off, if you can't eliminate the mildew in that particular corner, because generally... This is about air movement. We have calls and we have email questions from time to time about this, and people have sent back answers saying, yeah, you know, that really worked. Uh, When we don't have air movement, you do have a a fairly humid environment, and you're right about that. It's going to settle someplace, and the least amount of air circulation is in the corners of these rooms. So if you could stir the air up down there, you're going to go a long way to solving this mildew problem. Now, ultimately, if it's very, very moist, you may need a dehumidifier, but hot and/or cold air doesn't always resolve the problem. Cold air, air conditioning, pulls moisture out of the air. That's why we have condensate lines that drain to the outside. Mm-hmm. The uh, to put a baseboard heat in, uh, especially if it's electric, you'll be fine. You're going to heat that air, air. Certainly, you're going to tend to evaporate some, but some of it will also be somewhat displaced, if you will, into the into the block or the concrete. And I'm, I'm describing that very loosely. But at any rate, the, the, the best thing you can do is move this around, and if there's some way to vent that, do you have any kind of ventilation, windows, doors, or anything? Or you said it's totally concealed yeah, there's, below there's there's a,
1: there's a door. I mean, I, I can go outside, you know, through a door.
2: Okay. So it's, it's not completely below ground without access. So there's opportunity to right. open and close the door. Of course, certain times of the year you add moisture or humidity. But mm-hmm. the first thing I would do, because it's going to cost you nothing other than a few pennies electric-wise, if you have a fan, is to see if you can get rid of that in a corner, clean it first, run the fan for a few days, whatever time it takes normally for it to come back. If it doesn't come back, that's really going to be your problem, okay. is just put some air movement.
1: Now, I have a... Uh... I have a wood burning stove down there. Okay. Okay, which I haven't used, and I'm thinking about since uh, the flue is already there in the chimney and everything else, going with a pellet stove as opposed, you know, would that be a better way as opposed to baseboard heating if I want to heat that area?
2: Either one's going to cost you money, and that's all I'm after is to see you save some money and solve your Mm -hmm. problem. But the fact that you have a flue in place, as long as it meets the criteria for this pellet stove. And those today require generally a lesser vent in size than mm-hmm. the old wood stoves did. So as long as it meets that criteria and is properly ventilated and can bring combustion air in. That's the other thing you have to consider when you're when you're burning a flame, pellet stove or mm-hmm. otherwise, gas, you have to have makeup or combustion air. Mm-hmm. You you can't simply discharge what's being burnt or the you know the smoke or the residue and not have a way to bring moisture in that room. Uh, Not moisture, but air. And as you bring air in, you will tend to bring moisture in. So think about that cycle that you're dealing with. Good luck on that.
0: Dan, thank you. We do appreciate it. We've got another uh, basement issue. This one comes to us from Holly in Virginia. An email question, Ken.
2: Yes, she said we're planning to build a dream home in the near future. Said my question's about basements. We've bought the land, and while it's not in the floodplain, it's not exactly on high ground either. Said, I want a basement. I grew up in Connecticut, and we all had basements in Connecticut. My husband tells me, however, that basements aren't practical in this part of Virginia. Can a basement be made to last here is her question. And she says, then how is it done? I don't think the question really should be, can it be made to last, Holly? Because, yes, structurally today, all kinds of builders with all types of systems will build a basement that will perform well for you, whether it's precast, whether it's block, whether it's cast in place. The question
0: might be, more importantly, where you're located. Well, you know, and it's interesting because you talked on one of our other programs about the choice between building up or building out. One of the things we looked at when we did an addition, we eventually chose to build out, was to go down and to add a basement because, like Holly, I grew up in New England where everybody had basements Till I investigated the cost and the structural issues that can come up when you try to do this. And also, it's a lot of money.
2: But for you, too, you live on a
0: pretty flat
2: piece of ground. right? And I think that's the concern, Holly, that your husband has based on the way you've couched your information, put it together here for me, that your ground is fairly flat. You don't live in a a floodplain. My rule of thumb as a builder and I've always recommended this to my clients is that if you can't drain a basement with your foundation drain, your under drain to daylight by gravity. I always have some degree of opposition to it. Now I have constructed basements where we had to use sump pumps, but if you put a sump pump in even the best built basement and drainage system, at some point if the power fails, if the battery backup if you have one doesn't work on that basement, what you're going to have is an indoor swimming pool. So for me as a professional, I've always recommended to folks in commercial buildings and in residential that if you can't drain it by you can't design it where the drain drain will work by gravity to daylight then you might want to consider going up or going out to get the space that you are looking for in terms of your construction. I don't want to sit here and tell you that you can't do it, but I do want you to bring an architect, an engineer, a civil engineer, somebody on board that can help you with this. One of the other things that you might be able to do is not have the basement fully below grade Where you're coming up a set of steps or introducing a ramp or you're doing something that brings it out of the ground two or three feet, then perhaps the lay of the land will allow you to drain the basement floor and subfloor to gravity. So there are always other ways of approaching this versus saying I've got to have this big hole in the ground. Because at some point, in my experience, you're asking for a problem.
0: Well, you know, and I think part of her question, the will it last, is not structurally. But will it be viable storage space? Because I know you've probably experienced this. We had it in the many homes that I lived in in New England. And that is if you always have a damp or moist situation, it is not effective storage because you can't count on putting anything down there because of of the dampness that you always have.
2: Yeah, it really becomes just this big void. If you have no confidence in the water tightness of a basement area and humidity control that we talked about with a, a caller just a few moments ago, if you can't be satisfied that you have humidity control, you have lack of moisture, then it's not a lot of benefit for you. And certainly you'll not be able to finish it out for a game room, a rec room, a family room at a later date. So ask these questions. The time to do it where you spend almost no money is just buy an hour or two from an architect, an engineer a civil engineer, a structural designer, and evaluate these things. Also, depending on the size of your property, see if you have another location. Maybe it's not the dream location on site, but you might have to toy with getting a basement or having it in the ideal location on your property.
0: You can friend Ken the Contractor on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And always, you can be part of the show. You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email questions to our website. That's Ken the Contractor com Again, our number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. do you have a question about your home inside or out, you can join Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phones right now. Joining us next is Dan. Hi, Dan. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
1: Okay. Uh, I have a, a full-size basement uh and i have a mildew problem because i don't have any any temperature control whatsoever down there okay and um, right now i'm considering uh a pellet stove or some kind of maybe uh baseboard or something i need to get some kind of temperature it's i don't worry about air conditioning it's cool enough you know but i want to get some heat down there to, so i don't have a continuing mildew problem um, which i I know I've got to tackle.
2: I'll tell you, to get that
1: resolved first.
2: You're, you're going in the right direction, but the bigger issue is going to be air movement more than hot or cold air. Uh-huh. Uh, does this, does the, is there a tendency for this to form first in and around your corners?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the corners yeah. and then, you know, right.
2: And, and that again is indicative of the lack of air movement. What you may experiment with, and I'm not telling you this will be the cure all for you, but, For very little money, and you probably have one of these in your house, take a floor fan and set it out there and see if it doesn't move enough air. Just pick a corner. And maybe if you don't have, I'm not suggesting four fans, but if you've got a fan in the house, a portable fan, take it, set it down there for a while, and see if you can't, after cleaning the mildew off, if you can't eliminate the mildew in that particular corner, because generally... This is about air movement. We have calls and we have email questions from time to time about this, and people have sent back answers saying, yeah, you know, that really worked. Uh, When we don't have air movement, you do have a a fairly humid environment, and you're right about that. It's going to settle someplace, and the least amount of air circulation is in the corners of these rooms. So if you could stir the air up down there, you're going to go a long way to solving this mildew problem. Now, ultimately, if it's very, very moist, you may need a dehumidifier, but hot and/ or cold air doesn 't always resolve the problem. Cold air air conditioning pulls moisture out of the air that 's why we have condensate lines that drain to the outside mm-hmm. the uh, To put a baseboard heat in, uh, especially if it 's electric you 'll be fine you 're going to heat that air, air certainly you 're going to tend to evaporate some, but some of it will also be somewhat displaced, if you will, into the into the block or the concrete and i 'm describing that very loosely. But at any rate, the, the, the best thing you can do is move this around, and if there's some way to vent that, do you have any kind of ventilation, windows, doors, or anything? Or you said it's totally concealed yeah, there's, below there's there's a,
1: there's a door. I, mean, I I can go outside, you know, through a door.
2: Okay. Uh, so it's it's not completely below ground without access. So there's opportunity to right. open and close the door. Of course, certain times of the year you add moisture or humidity. But mm-hmm. the first thing I would do, because it's going to cost you nothing other than a few pennies electric-wise, if you have a fan, is to see if you can get rid of that in a corner, clean it first, run the fan for a few days, whatever time it takes normally for it to come back. If it doesn't come back, that's really going to be your problem, okay. is just put some air movement.
1: Now, I have a... Uh... I have a wood burning stove down there. Okay. Okay, which I haven't used. And I'm thinking about since there, uh, the flu is already there in the chimney and everything else, going with a pellet stove as opposed, you know, w- would that be a better way as opposed to baseboard heating if I want to heat that area?
2: Either one's going to cost you money, and that's all I'm after is to see you save some money and solve your mm-hmm. problem. But the fact that you have a flu in place, as long as it meets the criteria for this pellet stove, and those today require generally a lesser vent in size than mm-hmm. the old wood stoves did. So as long as it meets that criteria and is properly ventilated and can bring combustion air in. That's the other thing you have to consider when you're when you're burning a flame, pellet stove or mm-hmm. otherwise, gas, you have to have makeup or combustion air. Mm-hmm. You you can't simply discharge what's being burnt or the you know, the smoke or the residue and not have a way to bring moisture in that room. Uh, not moisture, but air. And as you bring air in, you will tend to bring moisture in. So think about that cycle that you're dealing with. Good luck on that.
0: Dan, thank you. We do appreciate it. We've got another uh, basement issue. This one comes to us from Holly in Virginia. An email question, Ken. Yes, she said, We're planning to build
2: a dream home in the near future. said, My question's about basements. We've bought the land, and while it's not in the floodplain, it's not exactly on high ground either. said, I want a basement. I grew up in Connecticut, and we all had basements in Connecticut. My husband tells me, however, that basements aren't practical in this part of Virginia. Can a basement be made to last here is her question. And she says, then how is it done? I don't think the question really should be, can it be made to last, Holly? Because, yes, structurally today, all kinds of builders with all types of systems will build a basement that will perform well for you, whether it's precast, whether it's block,
0: whether it's cast in place. The question might be,
2: more importantly, where you're located.
0: Well, you know, and it's interesting because you talked on one of our other programs about the choice between building up or building out. One of the things we looked at when we did an addition, we eventually chose to build out, was to go down and to add a basement because, like Holly, I grew up in New England where everybody had basements Till I investigated the cost and the structural issues that can come up when you try to do this. It also, it's a lot it's of a money. Lot.
2: But for you, too, you live on a pretty flat piece of ground. right? And I think that's the concern, Holly, that your husband has based on the way you, you've couched your information, put it together here for me, that your ground is fairly flat. You don't live in a, a floodplain. My rule of thumb as a builder and I've always recommended this to my clients is that if you can't drain a basement with your foundation drain, your under drain to daylight by gravity. I always have some degree of opposition to it. Now, I have constructed basements where we had to use sump pumps. But if you put a sump pump in, even the best built basement and drainage system, at some point, if the power fails, if the battery backup, if you have one doesn't work on that basement, what you're going to have is an indoor swimming pool. So for me as a professional, I've always recommended to folks in commercial buildings and in residential that if you can't drain it by, you can't design it where the drain, drain will work by gravity to daylight, then you might want to consider going up or going out to get the space that you are looking for in terms of your construction. I don't want to sit here and tell you that you can't do it, but I do want you to bring an architect, an engineer, a civil engineer, somebody on board that can help you with this. One of the other things that you might be able to do is not have the basement fully below grade, where you're coming up a set of steps or introducing a ramp or you're doing something that brings it out of the ground two or three feet, then perhaps the lay of the land will allow you to drain the basement floor and subfloor to gravity. So there are always other ways of approaching this versus saying I've got to have this big hole in the ground because at some
0: point in my experience you're asking for a problem. Well, you know, and I think part of her question, the will it last, is not structurally But will it be viable storage space? Because I know you've probably experienced this. We had it in the many homes that I lived in in New England. And that is if you always have a damp or moist situation, it is not effective storage because you can't count on putting anything down there because of of the dampness that you always have.
2: Yeah, it really becomes just this big void. If you have no confidence in the water tightness of a basement area and humidity control that we talked about with a, a caller just a few moments ago, if you can't be satisfied that you have humidity control, you have lack of moisture, then it's not a lot of benefit for you. And certainly you'll not be able to finish it out for a game room, a rec room, a family room at a later date. So ask these questions the time to do it where you spend almost no money It's just buy an hour or two from an architect, an engineer, uh, a civil engineer, a structural designer, and evaluate these things. Also, depending on the size of your property, see if you have another location. Maybe it's not the dream location on site, but you might have to toy with getting a basement or having it in the ideal location on your property.
0: You can friend Ken the Contractor on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And always, you can be part of the show. You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Again, our number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken the Contractor is here weekends. Ready to help you with projects around your house and also to answer questions that are important to today's homeowner. Here's a basic question. Is it time to replace those shingles? Ken will address that issue coming up in just a moment. But first, time now for our green building update for this week.
2: Always looking for items for those among us that are looking to be a little more energy efficient, number one, but also to cut down on our carbon footprint, perhaps reduce our energy costs at home. And so when I look at green building, it's everything from solar panels to recycled products. Today I want to talk to you a moment about a product that you won't find on the market yet, in the market yet, but you will coming up in just the next few weeks. Hits the market coming out in June. This is a product by U.S. Sunlight Corporation. Now that might be a name familiar to some of you because two years ago I talked to you about a new release that they had just come up with, which was a solar powered attic fan. And that has gone over like gangbusters across the country. That tells you a lot of us are really into that. No electricity needed, the solar cell powering the fan, and controls down below to tell you that it runs because it runs so quietly you can't hear it, both removing moisture and heat from your attic. But U.S. Sunlight Corporation has just announced they're releasing in June of this year an all-purpose fan. It's not designed to sit on the roof. It is a fan that can go in your barn. It can go in your garage. It can go in your house if you have what's referred to as a static vent, which is typically a gable vent, a fixed open vent that many of us have in the gable ends of our homes. But not only is this an all-purpose fan, it is fully solar-powered, no line voltage, no electricity required to it. The solar cell can be located up to 30 feet away from where the fan is installed with the low-voltage wiring that comes with it. But for me, the real positive on top of all the green part of this is that this fan is capable of venting up to 1,900 square feet. That's substantial for a solar-powered fan. So whether you've got a barn, again you've got a garage, you've got a shop, you've got a house, and if it's over 1,900 square feet, you might need two, but you won't need three or four. This could be ideal for you on a retrofit basis or even for new construction. To consider the U.S. Sunlight Corporation solar-powered all-purpose fan, and. Take a, take a look, take a, uh, a look at this, save some money on your energy cost, and make it so flexible in terms of where it goes and how you install it in and around the house, the farm, wherever you are. And that's Green Building today on Ken the Contractor.
0: And you can email your questions to Ken, and sometimes they're fairly intricate. Sometimes they're pretty basic. And this question that comes to us from Charles in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Ken, is a basic. And that is, when do you know it's time to replace those shingles? You don't want to do it too soon, but also you don't want to wait until it's too late. Yeah, and I'll give you a little more background And part
2: of Charles's question. He says, his shingles, now, this should be a sign to a lot of us. And Charles, uh, think about this. Said, my shingles are about 28 years old on my house. And that's not all bad for all of us. But it says during the last few years, many have started to curl up on the edges. They don't look so good. He says, and so, but I don't have any leaks. The roof just does, does not look as good as it used to. Uh, I have a lot of black streaking also on one side. Will these last several more years, or should I replace them now? Well, one reason I said that 28 years isn't necessarily a negative for so many of us is so there are shingles that were put on roofs 28 years ago that were 30, 35, and we were in the early years then of some of the 40-year shingles. So the first thing I would have to tell all of you is to look at the shingle itself and determine uh, if you have the paperwork on it, what was the life of that. And the reason that's important, if you had a 40-year shingle and it's curling up and it's cracking and it's coming apart at 28 years, you probably want to contact that manufacturer or their local rep and say, I'm not getting 40 years out of the shingle. That's what I paid for when I built my home. But, again, that was the very beginning of these long-term warranties on shingles for manufacturers. Charles, I'm going to make an assumption that you were dealing probably with a basic fiberglass shingle that was a 30-year shingle at the time. And if it's been on for 28 years, for you and others, clearly you've gotten your money's worth out of it. You may be able to let it go if you want to get exactly 30 years out of it. But it doesn't mean that if you've got a year and a half or two years left on that, that the manufacturer is going to come along and give you a new roof today either. If you could prove there was a manufacturer's defect or issue with it and they were not performing as designed, they might give you a couple of dollars in terms of prorated. But it probably is not going to be worth your trouble with 28 out of 30 years. And if you happen to have a 25-year shingle, which was very common back then, you've exceeded the life expectancy. Some of the signs that all of us should pay attention to when we have excessive granule removal, you see it in your gutter or on the downspout where all the rainwater washes these granules off the roof. If that's excessive or you see what some call balding spots on the roof, uh, that's a pretty good sign that there's an issue with the shingle or they've reached the end of their life expectancy. When you see edges cracking, when you see shingles curling up, then that tells you also that they have just lived as long as they're going to. And even though you don't have a leak, now is the time that you should start taking some prices from roofing contractors, Charles. Get you three bids at least, and then talk to the roofers, find out what's going to be involved, what you have to do. Are they replacing any rotted or damaged wood that's up there? Analyze those bids, and go ahead and contract a new roof that suits your time, suits your budget. And you do it when you're not in a panic situation and you've got water pouring through the ceiling on the inside.
0: So the bottom line for you is,
2: yeah, I think it's time for you to put some new shingles on that roof, but do it as you can.
0: Roofing, fencing, a lot of these are very seasonal. And uh, I know that you can get some good deals if you know when to contract these folks to do this particular work right now you might have a difficult time getting somebody to come out and put on a new roof yeah, in the warmer time
2: of the year with the economy cranking up again and the home building business and repair and remodel business it could be a little difficult and for uh, charles and others though that need a roof but don't have immediate issues in the sense that you have a leak there's no urgency about it you may want to wait until the fall of the year in your marketplace, and that the colder weather tends to come at different times of the the year, obviously, depending on where you're listening to us. It comes sooner or later, but you may want to wait until the the building starts to wane a little bit for the summer season, early fall, and start talking with your roofers as their backlog is less, and they're saying, hey, I'd like to have a void for late – I mean, I've got a void for late fall – I'd work you in because I want to work my crew for the last few weeks of the season out here. You may find some bargains then. The other thing would be to wait until the spring if you don't have an immediate issue. Go ahead and get your numbers. Lock those in at based on early spring prices where they're starting to build their backlog. That's going to be the best pricing for you.
0: And, Charles, uh, whenever you're dealing with a contractor, the one thing you would like to do, if you can, is buy American-made products.
2: Absolutely, and whether you're talking to the roofer proper or you're going to buy the shingles, and I typically encourage you to buy the shingles through the roofer, tell him, you want American-made products, you want to see shingles that are made in the USA, you want to keep your dollars in this country and help preserve jobs and create jobs at the same time, get that new roof.
0: And you're seeing more and more of these, and I know, Ken, in the work that you do right now, you're starting to see suppliers go out of their way to let people know that these products are being made right here in the U.S.A. of A. It's real important to manufacturers
2: and retailers alike today. You're going to see labels on the shelves. You're going to see them actually stamped on shingled bags. They come in wrapped paper. You're going to see that in many cases. Made in America,
0: typically you'll see
2: an American flag there. We are promoting
0: the U.S.A. And I think the other final element is a lot of times folks thought they either had to make some type of uh, – had to give up a little bit of quality, or possibly they had to pay a little more. And I think a lot of these manufacturers are showing that they can produce quality products at a very competitive price, and even in some of the national uh, stories that have been done, they produced a better product at a cheaper price.
2: That's what we're seeing. You just have to look. We're so accustomed to buying foreign products that when you look for American products today, I'm finding in my industry that we are finding superior materials, and we're finding it in many cases at equal or better pricing. And we're finding that these products are readily available to
0: us. We don't have to wait for them to come over a slow boat from China. Do you have a question for Ken? You can join us 800-614-2975 or go to the website. It's kenthecontractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back, Ken. The contractors are right here. He's ready to answer the questions that are important to today's homeowner. Also, if you've got a project you're working on this weekend and need a little bit of help, you can reach Ken at eight hundred six one four two nine seven five. That's eight hundred six one four two nine seven five. Let's go to the phones right now. Clarence is with us. Hi, Clarence. You're on the air with Ken.
2: Yes. How are you doing today?
0: Hi, Clarence. Thanks for the call.
2: Yeah, I was I asking you about some shingles uh, on a roof? If uh- you buy thirty-year shingles. Okay. 15 years they've been on there and some of them starting to come loose and i called the place where i bought them from and they told me that on the ceiling of them it's only guaranteed for five years depending on the area you live in and how the
1: wind blows is that
2: right or wrong well i'm going to tell you again as as jim teases me from time to time you got to read all the fine print because that is possible now do you have the i've never had anybody tell me that but I do read the information on different products, and there are little caveats occasionally. If you've got a 20 or 30 year product, it may say it, one, it could be prorated. If there's an issue in less time than that, it may also talk about certain weather conditions, climates, or environments that, ex- that the warranty's excluded. Do you happen to have the documents from when you purchased the shingles?
1: No, I don't. They're TAMCO shingles.
2: Okay. Well, that's a good product. They've been around for a long right. period of time. And, I, frankly, I've never had anybody share that with me. And I can't tell you that I recall reading that in any of the fine print on those shingles. What I would be doing... Unless they could prove to me in writing the time I bought these shingles of the material that was produced with the shingles of the day, I would be looking for a factory rep from Tamco. I'd go beyond the supply house and say, look, you know, find you a factory rep. Ask that factory rep to come look at the shingle and look at the product. But there are some caveats where there are exclusions to warranties on so many products that are out there. But that's one that would be new to me. Right, because I called the distributor where we got the shingles from and they said no. Said five years there are warranty on sealing. Well, again, uh, that's a new one for me, and I've been doing this a long time, put a lot of shingles on a lot of roofs. Right. And I would have issue with that if after six or seven years the shingles weren't sealing and the wind was peeling them up and there were other issues up there. Right. I would have, on my own behalf, as well as on behalf of my customer, I would be in the middle of the manufacturer. You can bet on that. So right. that would be where I would go, and it, until they can prove it in written form, show right. you the data from when that shingle was manufactured, I would take this one up, uh, one more person and one more person until, without a doubt, right. they've answered your question. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Thank you a lot. Take care. Bye.
0: Appreciate it, Clarence. If you'd like to join us, you can. 800 614 2975. That's 800 614 Two nine seven five. Every week, Ken brings you an app of the week, and uh, not all of them are a hundred percent restricted to just working around your house. This is one that you stumbled on during your travels that that I think is very interesting. And I got to tell you, when I moved from N- N- New England and the Mid Atlantic states down south, as we like there to say, there you go, down south. I was introduced to Krispy Kreme donuts, and. Uh, those of you who live south of the Mason-Dixon line, you don't have to be told about Krispy Kreme donuts.
2: And that's why I can call this one a really sweet app, folks, okay? You're going to like this one. And I knew Jim would like this one as well because he and I are uh, diehards when it comes to the Krispy Kreme donut. But in my travels recently, and, I, and I'm one of these guys that when the light's on, my wife would tell you, I'll turn around, I'll make a U-turn, and I'll go back to the store because the light's on. Hot donuts. Hot donuts. I mean, it gets me every time, Okay. <laughs> So what I found, and some of you may be saying, Ken, you're behind the times. That's already been on the market for a few months. Yeah, that may be true, but I've got to tell the rest of you that this is out there. Krispy Kreme has a hot light app. It'll work with your iPhone. It'll work with your Android. You load this sucker in. It's absolutely free into your phone, and it will alert you when the light is on for fresh donuts at the Krispy Kreme nearest your location. And I've talked to some folks that have used that. They love it. What, what a, what a ploy. I mean, what a game that Krispy Kreme's come up with to bring us back in the store. They understand my weakness. And there's probably at least one or two of you out there rolling in the floor right now laughing at me. But the rest of you are out there saying, when can I download this? Because I need to get to Krispy Kreme. And while it doesn't necessarily rate, relate to construction, I can tell you, as I said off the air in the studio a few moments ago, if you're in the construction business, if you've had anything to do with it, especially on colder mornings in the fall and the winter, there's nothing that makes your workforce happier than hot coffee and donuts on a job site. At Sugar High, will keep them motivated at
0: least until lunch, and we all appreciate that. So think about that Krispy Kreme app. All right, let's try to sneak in one more mailbag question. And this is an interesting question from Nelson in Virginia. He wants to put some insulation in his house, but he wants a basic answer, Ken. Where should I start? Well, it's, it's not only where should he start, but the rest of the question has to do with the age of his house and
2: his budget. Nelson says, I live on Social Security. I'm in an 80-year-old house. My budget is limited. My old house has no insulation anywhere. said, so I want to reduce my electric bill. Will insulation help? Number one. And the short and simple to that, Nelson, is absolutely. Everything you can do to insulate that house is going to benefit you when it comes to your energy cost. It says, if so, where should I start? I don't think I can afford to do the whole house. And he goes on. Another question, can I do this myself to save money? The first place I want you to start, look at your budget, is start in the attic. Because you're going to get the biggest bang for the buck immediately. And getting into the wall cavities will be much more costly, more cumbersome, and you're not going to get as much benefit in terms of reducing your electrical cost versus what it will cost you to retrofit those wall cavities. The other area that you may find fairly easy to do, you don't tell me in your email, but if the house is on a crawl space or uh, even a partial crawl space, later you may want to think about insulating that. But for all of us, we have the greatest heat gain and heat loss Through our roof, through the ceiling area of our home. So, if you only have one pot of money and you only have one opportunity to insulate, the attic space is going to be number one for you, and that's what I recommend. Secondly, Nelson, when it comes to doing it yourself, attic insulation, if the attic is easily accessed and it's fairly open, is an area that most of us as homeowners can install the insulation on our own. I don't recommend it because there are pitfalls, literally and some problems that can be created. You can damage wiring that's pulled through the attic. You can step through the ceiling, damage the plaster if you're not skilled at that, and even moving improperly on the ceiling joists uh, that are up there. It can cause you to crack plaster or drywall down below. The people that do it on a regular basis have tools and equipment and un- that are proper and understand how to access these areas. You'll find that installation cost is fairly economical to have a contractor come out and install. So I think first you should evaluate that. I'd go to the ceiling first in your house. Bring three people in, get competitive bids, and then find out on your own what can you buy the materials for at the big box stores, the local suppliers, your hardware store, and maybe even rent a machine that will blow it in. And you be the judge after that. But probably what you're going to pay for the materials at a retail level, you'll find that it may be more economical just to hire a contractor to do it because they're buying wholesale, which helps them absorb some of that labor, and you still end up with a similar cost.
0: Ken Patterson is Ken the contractor, and you can join him weekends at this time. He's answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you do have a question for Ken, you can always reach him at one eight. That's 1-800-614-2975. And also, don't forget about our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You'll find a lot of very useful and helpful information right online at Ken's website, KenTheContractor.com, whether it's questions about basements, roofing, electric, insulation decking windows accessible living energy efficiency heating leaks painting ventilation whatever you're working on this weekend if you need a little bit of help and a little bit of assistance you can find it online at ken's website that's com. that wraps up this hour of ken the contractor if you have a question about your home inside or out you can always reach ken at 800-614-2975 or online at com. you're listening to Kent the Contractor.